Binge about Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. You know those days when problems just seem to pop out of nowhere? Sure do. The helpful folks at State Farm do. Like a fender bender when you're already late. Or a thief breaking into your home. Making off with your flat screen TV or your little baby Yoda. Uh, Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. I would like to see the baby. Oh, it is asleep. We all will be quiet. Open the podcast. It contains adult content and spoilers. I must take this call. And now binge mode. Do you trust me? From what I can tell, yes. Then you will trust my work. IG-11 will join me. And we do it not for payment, but to protect the child from imperial slavery. None will be free until the old ways are gone forever. Welcome to Binge Mode Star Wars, proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, Editor-in-Chief of TheRinger.com. Oh, great website! It's great. Joining me today, now that he's finished covering his arm tat, but leaving his face tat completely exposed, it's Ringer Senior Creative and your Jedi Master, Jason Concepcion. Mal, at least everyone can see Binge Mode Star Wars, where we're exploring the wider Star Wars canon from the Skywalker saga films, the anthology films, to the Mandalorian, plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away. Please make the journey to Mandalore with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And please rate and review us. Give us the five-star ratings or we'll never let you hear Grief Cargus, a precious little creature, again. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join the Facebook group which is only for binge mode fans, which is an excellent place to pay your respects. Dear sweet Quill. R.I.P. And head to the ringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. Wrap baby Yoda in it for his sweet little nap. Swaddle him. Bobby, last time on binge mode, we explored how subversion shapes Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. And today we're diving deep. 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 Into the Mandalorian Chapter 7, The Reckoning. As always, spoiler warning, while we know nothing about the future of The Mandalorian, we will be going deep on details from this episode and the entire Star Wars saga to date. That's right, we will have a couple Rise of Skywalker comments in here, but we will issue context-specific spoiler warnings when we get there. We're going to take official canon and legends hashtag not canon into account. So Matt, your blurg, because it's time to head back to Navarro. Mal, my friend, if you're receiving this transmission, that means you are podcasting. So let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happens in the seventh episode of The Mandalorian by heading to a podcast studio far, far away, queuing up the opening crawl. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Mando receives a hollow message. 
from Grief Carga, who is still crushing it. And Grief <laughs> has an enthusiastic greeting and an offer. Return to Navarro, old friend, and help the guild by killing the client, thus freeing the city and the guild from imperial entanglements. That done, Mando would receive an ample payment. You know, he's always looking for coin. And the hunters would stop pursuing Mando and Baby Yoda. Just one thing. Just one thing. The plan hinges on using Baby Yoda as bait. And that's where I'd be out. It seems like a trap. I don't know. Usually <laughs> use bait for a trap. wonder what Admiral Akbar would say. Mando has kind of learned from his past mistakes. Has he? In a sense, understanding that he can't do this alone, he flies to Sorgan to enlist the help of Cara Dune, and he finds her barroom brawling for credits. She's hesitant to join up until she hears they'll be going up against Imperials. On the crest, Mando allows Cara to pick from his arsenal. And they're discussing the mission, Karga's trustworthiness or lack thereof, and the hunters targeting Baby Yoda. And all of this is overheard by the little Bubala himself who just dips his head down yeah. to take a peek. Listening. Give it a little listen. And moments later, the ship begins rocking violently. Up in the cockpit, Mando finds Baby Yoda jostling <laughs> the steering apparatus, trying to turn the ship and disrupt the current course. Mando gives Baby Yoda to Kara, takes control of the crest. On Arvala 7, Mando and crew visit Quill's homestead, and the Ugnaught welcomes them. The arrival of IG-11 with a tray of tea causes some alarm. Quill tells them how he scavenged IG after Mando's shootout with the mercenaries. He repaired IG's neural net and with patience taught the droid a new peaceful way of life. The droid is no longer a hunter, Quill insists. Mando is wary. The droid was programmed to kill baby Yodes. Quill agrees to join up, but he insists that IG-11 and his blurgs Three blurgs must also come along. Lots of room on the crest. The new team is flying to Navarro. Mando and Kara are arm wrestling. Passing the time, as friends do. And baby Yoda. This is cute. Thinking that Mando is in danger, force chokes Kara. Wild shit. Just some instinctual, casual force choking. Mando manages to make Baby Yoda stop, telling him that Kara is his friend. But this is quite a moment, and we will be discussing it at length. Quill kind of understands what is happening, though he doesn't have the the language for it, the vernacular. He doesn't say the Force. It's just sort of rumors. Kara, distrustful of Imperials and still shaken from being, again, Force-joked during a little bit of light R&R with a pal, argues with Quill, challenges his history. We learn that Quill labored for the Empire for the equivalent of three, he says, human lifetimes. The crest lands on Navarro. Mando and crew riding blurgs are met by Karga, backed by three hunters. That night, as Mando and Karga discuss the plan, their camp is attacked by large flying creatures. My eyes were attacked by a scene as dark as the long night. <laughs> the group fights them off, but one blurg and one of Karga's men has been taken and Karga has been wounded. The wound is poisonous and spreading. Little Baby Yoda, sensing Karga's distress, heals him with the Force, astonishing everyone. LBY is crushing it. Multiple Force moments from Baby Yoda in this episode of The Mandalorian. Incredible. I love the way he plops down right after. He's he's tired. tired. (laughs) The next morning, 
In the hills near town, Karga suddenly spins and shoots his fellow hunters. The plan, he tells Mando and Kara, and this will shock you, Jason. I can't believe it. This will stun you. Are you telling me this was some kind of scheme to, I don't know, get the kid back? Are you like Baby Yoda sitting down? I am. Jason, it was a trap. Oh, my God. The plan all along was to kill Mando, take the child. But Baby Yoda's healing has changed Karga's mind. Karga wants to continue with killing the client, though. That part hasn't changed. And Mando, for reasons that we will explore at length, agrees to this. Okay, sure. You were planning to kill me until a minute ago, but let's continue with this plan. And also the guy you want to go meet was trying to kill me. Yeah, this seems bad. They go with the old fake prisoner gambit. Star Wars loves it. (laughs) And Mando sends Quill back to the crest with baby Yoda. And a blark. Karga and Kara take Mando in cuffs and little baby Yoda's empty cradle into town, which is positively crawling with stormtroopers. They get their audience with the client, and the client notes Mando's new best car armor. A true believer, he lectures Mando on the benefits of imperial rule, saying that Mandalore was foolish to reject it. It's preaching. The client is about to take a look inside LBY's empty stroller. I would like to see the baby. Uh, it's asleep. We all will be quiet. Definitely one of the five funniest moments yeah. in the history of television. <laughs> when he gets a call from none other than Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon at last. Boy. Suddenly, the room is absolutely pulverized by blaster fire. The client and his bodyguards are dead. No! Nine! 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 (laughs) For the client. Outside, a squad of death troopers awaits, backed by dozens of freshly armored, shiny again, stormtroopers. Mando radios Quill to Expressed with urgency, the need to hurry back to the ship. Once they're inside, he thinks they'll be safe. Get that was off a the, mis- <laughs> turns out that was a mistake. <laughs> Get off the planet, take the kid, and go. But Mando's communication is intercepted by two troopers on speeders who race to catch the Ugnaught. And a TIE fighter lands. Moff Gideon, stylish and stunting, steps out. Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito, says that soon he will be in possession of little baby Yoda. Mando continues trying to contact Quill, but no answer. The Ugnaught is dead. Devastating. For Quill, the Ugnaught, who I gotta say, I think it's important to kill characters for stories to have stakes and have importance and to have heft. But man, we needed needed more time with Quill. We needed more time with him. It really hurts for him to die this way because Mando was like, I'm going to do some dumb shit. I know. It was an incredible episode for him. And also, he just wanted... He just wanted peace. To enjoy the peace in his valley. And it's devastating that he had to die on the fucking lava fields of Navarro instead of in the home he worked so hard to And he came here not for personal gain, but to fight against imperial slavery. To protect Which he has very strong feelings about. Devastating. Devastating. Really hurts. And in this, he cared about his blurgs. He cared about little baby Yoda. In this, sequence, I've never seen Mando feed little baby Yoda by hand. Scraps of meat. He was like, mm, couldn't wait to just gnaw on them. <sighs> Carnivore took personal and heartfelt interest in fixing and retraining IG Eleven so that he would be a peaceful droid. I know. Special I guy, Quill. Let's move on. But it's in not. this sequence. 
as we discover that Quill has fallen, what else happens? The episode concludes a as trooper, we see... A trooper going like 80 miles an hour. Scooping up LBY. Scoops up LBY, his gloved, armored hand thumping into the little bread loaf package. That's no way to treat a baby. Slow the fuck down. I need stronger language than I have to express how I felt about this. This is so distressing. Slow down! So distressing. Also, Quill was murdered, so it's not his fault, but this is the third episode in a row that someone has dropped Baby Yoda. Dropped him. On the fucking ground. It's fucking insane. How hard is it? Protect Baby Yoda. It's devastating. Jason? Yeah. The plan was to kill you. I take the podcast. But after what happened last night, I couldn't go through with it. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is... Reckonings and judgment. The John Favreau-written Deborah Chow-directed chapter was really a delightful episode of television. Two best episodes of The Mandalorian, you could argue, directed by Deborah Chow... Which is pretty exciting in a macro Star Wars Disney Plus TV sense because Deborah Chow is, of course, making the Obi-Wan show. Give us the Obi-Wan! So that's genuinely really exciting. And in terms of what was so satisfying about this episode, we've talked for so many weeks in a row about wanting these people to re-enter the story. For Mando to, like you said, show the, the foresight and the thought to reach out and bring them back into his life. To connect as fun as the Mission of the Week stuff was, back into those macro questions and into that larger plot. We got some astonishing Baby Yoda moments, both precious precious and alarming, which we'll talk about. Some elite Carl Weathers. What a precious little creature. He's fucking crushing it. Werner Herzog's I Would Like to See the Baby lines, just incredible stuff. And most crucially of all, the return to that high-stakes plot that we had been longing for. Yeah. But on Navarro itself, Throughout the episode, Sorgan, Arvala, everywhere Mando went, Jason. That's right. Questions abounded. So as much as we enjoyed the episode. Loved it. And I did. I think it was a really good episode of, of The Mandalorian. The questions that we have after are ones that we want to spend a few minutes exploring. Very few characters did things that made sense. We believe that Mando, who is basically responsible for Quill's death and maybe Yoda's capture, let's just let's just say it. Quill's blood is on his fucking hands. Mando, we're we're at this point with Mando. Yeah. He should be boiled alive in bogwing piss. Listen, the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is essentially a baby Yoda delivery system. And I gotta say, buddy, <laughs> you're fucking it up. <laughs> you got a good alien killed today. It's very upsetting. So what was everyone thinking? Why did they do or not do various things? Let's let's run through just some of the biggest questions about judgment, awareness, and choice in this yes. episode, The Reckoning. And these questions are more important than ever because this was the penultimate episode of season That's one. Right. We're heading into the finale. So let's start with just the, this, the one that is obviously dominating our hearts and our minds after this traumatizing viewing right. experience. Why must we continually be subjected to seeing Baby Yoda in harm's way? John Favreau, <laughs> David Filoni, Deborah Chow, yes, even you, step forward. Because <laughs> I'd like to have words with you. Can the scout trooper not slow down before picking up little Baby Yoda? Uh, does he hold have to, on, hold on. Does he have to speed it to a million miles an hour? How about not having him be fucking captured? Does he in have the to be dropped on the ground? <laughs> Why is all this? Can we have Mando 
just increase his IQ by 10 or 15 points <laughs> so that he can think about protecting this child? I understand. You said this weeks ago, yes. and you were right. I understand, rationally, logically, yeah. that the show is built on and fueled yes. by our obsession with Baby Yoda and thus the really crippling fear that we it, feel when it's he necessary. is in harm's way. We have to put him in harm's I way. I understand it. However, it's necessary. It's not good for my heart. It's, I agree. It's I tough for my blood pressure. concerned about my health and my well-being. Much. Listen, here's the thing. This show, and I'm not even joking, this show could be two hours of Baby Yoda just doing stuff oh. by himself oh in his God. little sleep room. I would be delighted. While Mando is off getting <laughs> shot at and riding <laughs> blurgs. And I'm good. I completely agree. So... Speaking of things that we have gotten the chance to see Baby Yoda do and the endlessly fascinating nature of watching him, let's get to our next question. Should we be worried that Baby Yoda tried to force choke Kara in this episode? Because our dude legitimately went right to the force choke. Sorry, lady, you're hurting the closest thing I've had to a father, and I'm going to choke you now. Goodbye. (laughs) The fact that he has this instinct to protect Mando when he thinks he's in peril. Frankly, an instinct that would be nice to see Mando reciprocate. It's unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Is like incredibly heartwarming and incredible. He looks, look on his face when he is watching Mando and Kara arm wrestle. He's just like, oh, no, no, no. He's genuinely concerned, fearing that Mando will be injured. And he looks so cute. But also, watch it again. Go back a few times. There's a moment on his face as the force choke is continuing and he turns his claw inward, almost like like he's going to pull the, the windpipe shut. Is there a touch of evil there? The capacity con- for that? I'm not concerned. Are you concerned? No, I'm not even okay. concerned a little bit. This is, again, a protective. This is a protective I'm just asking instinct. the questions. I, I think, agree with you. I, I think, if anything, this and the moment, which we'll talk about in a bit, when he overhears our conversation and then takes control of the yes. ship. I think all these things and some of the other little hints that have been dropped over the course of the last couple episodes hint at him being a lot more with it than we give him credit. He is 50. <laughs> Hyper aware 50 He's 50 old. and extremely force sensitive. <laughs> so I think he's a lot more engaged with yes. the things going on around him than we give him credit for because he does appear to be a little baby, baby, baby boy. So speaking of that, I just have to ask the question again, journalistic responsibility to interrogate. Because of that level of awareness, because of how he responded to what he was saying, is there any reason, any reason to think that his force powers, his force awareness has led him to believe that Kara is actually a threat legitimately? Because beyond even the force choke, there's the moment when when Mando realizes what's mm. happening and scoops him up and says, you know, Kara, we're friends. Kara's my friend. Baby Yoda shakes his head no. Is there any way he knows something? Or given that his response to Kara only occurs in this moment with the context of a play flack that he misinterprets as a violent act, you know, fun masquerading as, yeah. as something else, does it just more likely, and I think this is where we both land, indicate a lack of, of understanding? You know, yeah, I think the, this that. seems most likely and is actually like, quite sad yeah. to think about because as we've talked about all season, he has been exposed to so yes. much 
violence and yes. savagery. And it is starting to shape and inform his behavior. And, and his desire to protect Vando is wonderful, but who is going to teach him these things? Who's going to teach him empathy? Who's going to teach him how to process all of the stimuli around him and for him to be able to make the right judgment? I mean, call? think back to the way... Because uh, it's all show, instinct now. Yeah, think back to the way this show has consistently shot little baby Yoda in moments of violence, You're beginning with episode two, after his introduction at the end of episode one. It's always, you know, we see Mando doing something, maybe shooting bounty hunters, fighting with the Mudhorn. Even and episode we, one, when the attack, when they find him, and Mando shooting IG-11 in the head right but, away. But, but what they all, what the camera always do is finds little baby Yoda's face and those so wide see. eyes so that we see that he is taking all this in. Oh, he yeah. understands that all of this is happening. Yes. And I agree with you. The impact that's having on him as he develops is really concerning. He's seen fights. He's seen people killed right in front of him. Right. And again, remember, even though this wasn't violence, the thing with the frog yeah. on Sorgan when he was enjoying his favorite snack, slurping up a frog, and the children responded the way they did. Ew, gross. Mm -hmm. Shamed him, and he dropped it out of his mouth. Even though that was a completely different type of thing, it reinforced that he is— He's aware of, yes, of what's, of what's going on around him. And I think—so this brings us to the next moment. That's the other Ka force powers. Kara and Mando are talking about, you know, recent events, the mission, whether Mando trusts Karga, no— the fact that Karga has betrayed him, the fact that nowhere in the galaxy is going to be safe because these hunters are after them and they want to kill little baby Yoda. Right. And little baby Yoda's head is popped down and he's listening so to this. Cute. And the next, the very next thing he does is he goes, right away. climbs up on the dashboard of the ship, grabs the stick and starts trying to fly somewhere. Mm -hmm. That, I think, coupled with the force choke, communicates a rising desperation within little baby Yoda and an urge for safety and normalcy. And control. Yeah. It's, you know, it, he's been at the whim of others for for it, all we know his entire life. And I think that is really concerning. He doesn't want to be part of this anymore. He doesn't want to be amongst violence and be hunted by things and go someplace where they're going to have to interact with a person who Mando is like, yeah, I don't trust this guy because he's tried to kill me already. And he's tried to kill little baby Yoda. And so little baby Yoda's like, well, why are we going here? Right. Let's just get out of here. It's all quite concerning and clearly points to little baby Yoda having a pretty advanced intelligence, or at least more advanced than we give him credit for, considering how he looks, Again, which is a baby. Certainly. Who is 50. More advanced than Mando in terms yeah. of perceiving what's happening around well, him. That's, and no, that's no what surprise. What the effects might be. And then the other really highly notable Baby Yoda moment in the episode is the force healing sequence with Karga after Karga has been attacked by this winged beast. First of all, we get a couple just exceptional Baby Yoda waddling sequences waddle in this episode. Loves to waddle around. Loves to move around. Uh, just remarkable stuff. And the way he waddles here toward this wounded man, who, again, is an enemy to him. Yeah. The conversion is still to come. Shows, I think, some, again, sort of instinctual desire to heal and protect yeah. rather than harm. The way that he reaches out, puts his hand on the wound, heals it. There's that hilarious Karga moment. He's trying to eat me. <laughs> He's trying to eat me. And before that, Caribbean, like, get this thing yeah. out of here. <laughs> and then again, the way he just and of course flops who, down. Who's like, wait, let's see what happens. Right. Quill, cool. of course. He knows. He can sense and is aware that Baby Yoda is very special. And this clarifies for us something that we already suspected, but now have confirmation of. In chapter two, when Mando was wounded, 
And Baby Yoda kept popping out of his little egg carrier and waddling over to Mando and reaching up to his arm wound. He was, in fact, trying to use the force. So while the Mudhorn moment was the first time that we saw him use the force, he tried to use it before then. So what are the ramifications of this particular power? Because force healing is established canon. We've talked about it a lot during the podcast run. But until this and... Rise of Skywalker, spoiler here for about 30 seconds. You've been warned until we saw also the force healing power from both Rey and Ben Solo in Rise of Skywalker. We hadn't seen this particular display of wound knitting in the canon. So is this setting up some sort of resurrection? Baby Yoda perhaps resurrecting Mando if he takes a fatal wound? God forbid Baby Yoda passing on his own life essence. Perish the fucking thought. Rise of Skywalker, talk over for now. And then just the question of how, as we see more of these powers, how they're going to continue to manifest in general for him. And who's going to guide him? Who's going to teach him? I think that's a great point. I think in terms of the guidance, he's going to need it because I think him healing Karga, who at that time was still on his plan to kill Mando, betray him, and Mm -hmm. steal the child— From that, I think we can intuit that as Force-sensitive as Baby Yoda is, as able to pick up on suffering and and physical pain and things like that, and as sensitive as he is to violence, he's not yet able to, like, peer into someone's mind and say, that's an enemy. He's thinking about betraying What the intention is. Right. So, like, with, you know, with the issue with Kara, that was simply what he saw. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not able to read someone's essence. It is really interesting to watch this child develop and see what he might do next. Will he use the force to attack his captors gotta, to gotta free himself? Got to think. And then I think it's particularly interesting to think about, you know, we talk often about how's the Mandalorian going to connect to the wider Star Wars universe, but this is a thematic question. The role of the mentor is always so elemental in these stories. You know, think about Ben Kenobi. Old, yeah, I wonder I, if it means old Ben Kenobi. Point. And Yoda, of course, for Luke. Think about... Luke and Leia for Rey, on and on the list goes. You know, Sheev Palpatine, great mentor for Anakin, et cetera. (laughs) I mean, really was, you know, like a very impactful mentor. So who is going to be able to fill that role for Baby Yoda? Because as that's a great question. As much affection as he has for Mando, as much as he's bonded with Mando, as far as we know, and you made the the excellent point last episode that clearly time is passing. We don't Mm -hmm. know what they're getting up to when we don't see them. But from what we are seeing, what we do have access to, Mando's not trying to— He's not a mentor. He's not much of anything. Yeah. He just, and I say that with affection for him, but— He's basically an Uber driver with guns. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I mean, that has no disrespect to him. He's great at that part And his people and his skills. But it's like, he's not speaking to— the, You don't see—we don't watch him speak to the child. Again, you know, back to Quill, like hand-feeding Baby Yoda. We don't see no. that kind of one-to-one— affection and what are you thinking? What are you, he has like no talking to the child. He basically thinks about basic comfort and life needs. Like the moment when he asked Quill to put, you know, padding, cushioning in his sleeping pod. Of course, ordering him the bone broth previously in the season, but he's not saying, hey, do do you need to learn? You know, would you like to be reading? Should we work on your capacity for language? Yeah, should we teach you basic? You know, exactly. So there's a lot that Mando doesn't know, and that includes anything that Baby Yoda is doing. But one really interesting thing in this episode is that 
Nobody knows what the force is. I, I was, I'm. Why doesn't anybody know what the force is? Truly perplexed by this. Now, I guess you could say that you're talking 30 years after the Order 66, right? 30 ish Jedi wiped out from the galaxy. Maybe they faded away. At the same time, after the Battle of Endor, New Republic on the rise. You would imagine Luke Skywalker is a famous person who brought mm-hmm. balance to the force, killed the Emperor, everyone probably thinks. So why don't these people know what the force is? Why doesn't Kara, who served in the rebel army, know what the force is? Why doesn't Mando, whose people have a long history of fighting the Jedi, know what the force is? It's yes. just very confusing. And Quill, who, even though it was against his will, was involved in the Imperial apparatus. Yeah. You know, he's the one who has some familiarity with what is unfolding. When after he sees Baby Yoda force show Carrie, he says, very curious. Sorry, sir, but what's curious? What's curious? I remember every Baby Yoda who's ever <laughs> used the force choke. And Carrie says, curious, it almost killed me. Quill says, the story you told me of the Mudhorn now makes more sense. What is it, Mando asks. And Quill says, what it is, I don't know, but what it does, this I've heard rumors of. So, still, no one says, it's the Force. You know, that thing we associate with the Jedi and that everyone's always talking about. What's a common rebel greeting and goodbye? May the Force be with you. This is a thing people say in the universe. So this is, so I'm, this I'm is confounding this. to me. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about Luke, mm-hmm. specifically, I think that you're right to observe that the just the numbers sure, and then the numbers of Force users who are active compared to the size of the galaxy would mean that it is very likely that you didn't have direct exposure. But again, you just went through how all of the primary figures in this particular case might have had, if not direct, at least one degree removed of some sort of connection from this. But think of someone like Rey in Force Awakens who has grown up in the ruins of Jakku alone. Now, she is very much like Han was in A New Hope in the sense that She thought it was all a legend, a myth, but she'd still heard of it. Yeah. It's one thing to not believe it or think it was real. That would be fine if you hadn't seen it. But to not know what it is 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 genuinely surprising and strange. Yeah, especially like for Kara, you know, how many briefings have we seen in Star Wars where at the end of the briefing, may the force be with us? You've never heard that? I'm really stumped by this one. I really, really am. And also like... I think the point you just made about Mandalore and the history with the Jedi is that is a crucial. It's an absolutely integral part of their cultural history. And Mando, we know, is obsessed with adherence to the code. Yeah. This is the way. He is obviously a student of Mandalorian history. Very strange. N- next question. We'll stick with Quill for a minute and Baby Yodes. Why is Quill so sure that Baby Yoda is not a clone? This was also fascinating. This episode gives a lot to Jay. There is a lot. Quill, when he first sees Mando and Baby Yoda, hasn't again, grown much. Nick Nolte should win an Emmy for voice acting. He is like so evocative <laughs> in great. this. He's really great. The way he screams about his blurgs, let her go. I, I was like, oh my God. Was, my heart was aching. It was wrenching to watch. <laughs> Truly devastating. Yeah. Hasn't grown much. How much time has passed? I found That's myself wondering question. that because would you expect, given the fact that we know Baby Yoda's 50 and looks like a baby, would you expect Baby Yoda to have grown much in anything other than like a decade? <laughs> Probably not, right? So that was <laughs> strange. But anyway, Mando's response to that is, I think it might be a strand cast. So, 
surely anybody watching this bumped on that, stopped, thought about it for a while, Googled it. This is a new term, a new Star Wars term. What is a strand cast? We don't know, but let's use context clues of this conversation, of the plot of the episode. It would seem reasonable to deduce that a strand cast would indicate some sort of cloning or genetic engineering, like a strand of DNA. DNA. And the context of Quill's reply supports that. He says, I don't think it's engineered. I've worked in gene farms. Gene farms. Now, presumably, given the Ugnaught's history as an imperial slave, which we're reminded of quite a bit in this episode, he means imperial cloning facilities or genetic modification facilities of some sort, you know, like not Camino in tech, the stuff run by imperial tech. Well, maybe Camino in tech in the sense that they were, that was all part of the empire machine, right? Perhaps. Pershing's got that Camino patch. On his sleeve. And I, I can't the, shake that. And yet the way they interacted, though, the way the client and Pershing interacted, it didn't seem like they did a lot of work together. I mean, there was a divergence of goal there. Definitely. But I also get the sense that the client is maybe not hanging around with the scholars very often. That's true. <laughs> and it, and clearly, by the way, expendable. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of shocking. While it was an absolutely glorious Quill episode, we do have to say, one very tough look for our guy when he says of Baby Yoda, while explaining that he doesn't think he's a clone, this one looks evolved too ugly. Yeah, but I took that as one of those, like, uh, terms of endearment. Like Womp Rat? Yeah, like Womp Rat. No, no, I'm serious. Like, you ugly little thing. Like, I I took it like that. Quill's a warm guy. But then again, you know, like, Ugnot, uh standards of attractiveness. We just have no idea what they are. (laughs) You're right. It's true. So is Quill right? Is Baby Yoda not, in fact, a clone? Is he a member of his own species born in some fashion that we don't yet know into the world? Yeah, I think the the role of Quill throughout this series, and again, I hope he somehow survived, although I would expect that he did not. Maybe IG-11 will Restore him the way that Quill restored IG-11. Dare to dream. The role of Quill throughout, I have spoken, right, Uh has been authoritative. I have imparted some kind of wisdom from this show, from this world that is authoritative. Great point. And, of course, if he is right and Baby Yoda is not a clone, that, of course, does not mean that the people trying to attain him do not want to make clones from him. Certainly could be that. Because regardless of the specific outcome here, it is hugely notable that this episode brought up cloning and engineering directly. We have been talking about this the whole season, and it was acknowledged here. So even though we didn't get the answer, it's it's something we are meant to be thinking about. And that brings us to Moff Gideon. We're going to get to Mando's whole plan in a second here. But why does Baby Yoda mean so much to Moff Gideon? Because even in a season that was clearly built around these parties trying to attain the asset and wanting him desperately and being willing to pay this handsome Beskar bounty, the things that he says and the way that he says them here are kind of astonishing. He says, quote, You have something I want. You may think you have some idea what you're in possession of, but you do not. Wow. In a few moments, it will be mine. It means more to me than you will ever know. So there are two incredibly titillating snippets there. The... You may think you have some idea what you were in possession of, but you do not. Which could just point to the fact that they don't really know how the force works or maybe to some other greater power Mm -hmm. and significance that Baby Yoda possesses. 
And then the it means more to me than you will ever know. So what is that about? This is so intriguing. Is there a possibility that we have not considered? Or is it one of the many possibilities that we have considered at length? Do they want to clone him? Do they want to work on some sort of essence transfer, force transfer? Use his force powers just with him yeah. as a weapon in their war, an imperial remnant trying to build up the empire again. There's a lot of questions here. I think the thing that we're kind of overlooking with all the things that have happened is who was holding little baby Yoda in the first place? One. Right. And why couldn't Moff Gideon, with all the power and military might at his disposal, just send a cadre of death troopers out there and be like, go get it? Mm-hmm. Why move like this? Great question. There's clearly other things working behind the scenes right. that, that we are not aware of. And Kara, even though she doesn't, isn't necessarily thinking she about that, that, voices well. that. She, she knows there's that something well. else going on yes. here. And we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but the political machinations yeah. really come to the, the fore in this episode in the way that was incredibly I love compelling. That I absolutely love that Yeah, stuff. so maybe there's something to do with like a faction that he can't be seen to go against directly. That's maybe the point. nimbleness of a bounty hunter was appealing in a way that the sheer brutal force yeah. of a uh, cadre of death troopers it, wouldn't be, but we don't know that answer yet. So this is post-Endor, post-Jakku, yes. New Republic on the rise. I would assume some kind of like ex-imperial show of force like this would be very dangerous for him. Right. You don't want to call the New Republic's attention down on him. Right. So maybe that's why he didn't want to move in that in that kind of way. And, and I think it speaks to how important this is to him now that he's willing to show up on this planet with his cadres around him. Great point. And think about, you know, while, while we said, oh, mission of the week, think about some of the things that we did learn in the last couple episodes. We were on a New Republic prison transport. They are out there looking for offenders and looking to jail them. Think about Fennec, who we met in the prior episode. We don't know still who her employers were, but we know that people who were going against the new government were being put away. He's on some list, presumably. So what else could he potentially want Baby Yoda for? Well, we have to, especially in light of what Baby Yoda did in this episode, think that it could be to heal something. You know, the way that his force power and healing power is being showcased, highlighted. Maybe there's something that Moff Gideon needs Baby Yoda to restore. And that brings us to another Rise of Skywalker spoiler. <laughs> Fast forward about a minute if you don't want to hear this. We have to ask if there's going to be a Palpatine connection here. Have to. Either either on the cloning front or on the healing front. Right. We don't know. We don't know after seeing the rise of Skywalker, which you can hear us talk about at length in a couple days, how exactly Palpatine is still around or was still around at the beginning of that movie. Maybe Baby Yoda's abilities play a role in his restoration. We have to at least wonder. It's a great nugget to chew on. (sighs) Rise of Skywalker spoiler talk concluded. All right, a couple more questions. How could Mando agree to team up with Karga in the first place? We're well, going to go like here's well the answer all is of this. the answer is twofold. Uh, one because like again it is necessary to put Baby Yoda in danger for this show to work and two it has been very unfortunately <laughs> well established by this point that yeah. Mando is kind of a dummy. Yeah. I mean his he's as hard-headed as his helmet. And he's a friggin' dummy. He kind of very slightly leveled up his intelligence for this one in realizing, well, I guess I got to get help to help watch little baby Yoda because I can't do it alone. Right. But walking into a bald face trap 
was dumb. Yes. Uh, let's go through some of the specific things that are just... It, you actually cannot talk yourself into how he talked himself into him. It, it's impossible. Start from the opening transmission. Cargo pops up. My friend. Yeah. What? You know what you I guys o- just tried to kill each other. You know other. what I often love to do with a friend is, Mur- uh, murder, is murder them with 40 bounty hunters <laughs> at my back. If you're receiving this transmission, that means you are alive. You might be surprised to hear this, but I'm alive too. Yeah, because you shot me in the chest. <laughs> When last we met. By the way, did you notice that he's got the bullet hole in his vest still? Change your clothes. Change your clothes, Karga. What are you doing? That's it's up there with Mando paint your armor. The <laughs> fucking hygiene on the Mandalorian is repellent. You wondered why nobody was offended by the krill smell and sorgan? Yeah. It's because it was an stinks. improvement. This on is everything I think else. That, I think we're realizing that uh, you know, it's it's often been said that Star Wars has is more in common with fantasy than sci-fi, and I think uh, what we're seeing here is that the hygiene in Star Wars is on par with the Game of Thrones hygiene. And, and listen, I got a graver insult, Harry Potter esque. <sighs> Still waiting for more than the one bath, <laughs> kid. Literally, my my guy never brushes teeth once. <laughs> Not once. Poor Jenny. I know. The client. Karga says, has instituted despotic rule in Navarro since the showdown at the end of Chapter 3 of The Sin. If you will consider one last commission, he says, I will very much make it worth your time. Easy answer here. No. You yeah. hit the button, you move I'm on. good. Keep yeah, flying. sorry. Yeah, Don't yeah. even respond. Great. This is the most obvious trap imaginable. Mando literally tried to kill this guy, murdered a ton of his guildmates. Everybody has been pursuing him endlessly and Baby Yoda since. Karga says, so here's my proposition. Return to Navarro. And I swear to God, Jason... This is a line in the show, a thing that Karga said to Mando, who then says, okay, bring the child as bait. Uh, who says that? Bring the child as bait! Who says that? I hang up at that point. Yeah. and, and I block the number and by the at way, that point. Let me just I say, mute you. Let me just say this. The client fell for the closed pram trick later on. I got that coming up in a minute, because that is also a problem. We'll get there. Use the child as bait? <laughs> That's, I'm sorry. I like, listen, I'm not a trained bounty hunter. <laughs> you don't But need that to be. raises my red flags. <laughs> I will arrange an exchange, Karga continues, and provide loyal guild members as protection. At least, now he, again. at least he added loyal to make it somewhat more plausible. Counterpoint. That makes it worse from Mando's perspective because he's he went against the guild. So if they're loyal to the guild, they are by definition his enemy. This is crazy. If you succeed, you keep the child and I will have your name cleared with the guild for a man of honor should not be forced to live in exile. So Mando's honor is coming up regularly lately. We heard Quinn mention it last episode. Karga mentions it here. What about his idiocy, you know? Quill has a real reason for joining this fight. He says, none of us will be free until the old ways are gone forever. Kara, similarly, mm-hmm. is all in once she hears that this is about taking down an Imperial remnant. And we know from earlier episodes, from earlier in the season, that Mando has these feelings about the Empire, too, is horrified by the presence of Imperial remnants and relics in the land. But how much is that motivating him? That gets back to a question from a couple episodes ago about needing to better understand what he's thinking and how he's processing this. How much of his desire is purely to protect Baby Yoda and reset? And how much is this larger narrative playing in? So the next question is, I don't want to be rude. We've put it out there on Front Street already, on Maine. Is Mando dumb? 
what's the saying? To a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. If he can't shoot it, he doesn't know what to do with it. Right. And I just think he's not, like we've seen in a firefight, the guy's aces. Incredible. Unbelievable stuff. Not Best, a, best not in a, the parsec, they say. Best in the parsec. <laughs> I think he'd have to go to his blaster a lot less if he had any kind of intelligence about him. Right. If he had any kind of wit about him, he'd be getting shot less and be shooting people less. Right. So here's really ultimately all you need to know. In an episode that centers on bringing the prize possession in the entire galaxy into the jaws of the enemy and Mando himself into the den of the people who want to kill him, he says, quote, it seems like a straightforward operation. Yeah, I mean, I, as described by your <laughs> literal enemy. <gasps> to be fair, in the interest of fairness, there are times, many times in the episode when he is on edge about yeah. what is unfolding. He is mistrusting. He, he does say to Kara... Yes, when she asks, I need your eyes. And she says, can you trust your contact? Really. He's like, no. Yes, yeah, not exactly. Really. But that never stops him from proceeding. And that actually is more concerning because it would be bad enough if he just wasn't thinking about these things at all. Mm -hmm. But he is. And then he's deciding to move forward anyway, despite this long list of threats. When Kara says, where are we going? Mando says, I don't have a choice. You saw what happened on Sorgan. They'll keep sending hunters. The kid will never be safe until the imp is dead. And you're okay with bringing him back here? Not really. That's why I'm bringing you. So like, just... Yeah, don't... Again. Like, again, we get it. The show needs to do this. Yes. It would just be great if Mando could learn from his mistakes mm -hmm. a little bit. Have a chat with Baby Yoda about it. See what he thinks, you know? I would love a scene, a five-minute scene of just him talking to Baby Yoda. In addition to the episode really showcasing that while Mando is good in a fight, he's a very limited strategist and tactician, we also see how limited, again, his social grace is. You know, he keeps calling Quill Ugnod, and Quill has to say to him, I have a name. It's, it's, it's Quill. It's very rude. This is a person I, you flew back to his planet. That's the kind of thing. His help. I, again, that's the kind of thing I kind of, I give him a pass on. He's had a very tough life. He's obviously not good at interpersonal relationships. Uh, you know, was raised by a people who never take their fucking helmets off. Like he doesn't, he doesn't understand social graces and these kind of things. I give him a pass on that. But it's the stuff where, listen, you're an operator in a dangerous world who has a reputation for being really good at these kind of situations. And the fact that you're not able to kind of suss out the people who might have knives behind their back right. so it's, is tough. Something like Karga telling them that the client will have no more than four troopers yeah. with him. When Mando has firsthand, firsthand direct confirmation that that is not the case. The safe house was crawling. Here's a thing Karga said. To you, the client has instituted despotic rule on my city. Right. With four guys? Right. Put some of the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, here. that implies more than four guys. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's just unbelievable. I do like the symbolism of the moment where Justice Karga saying, trust me, nothing can go wrong. The wild winged beast descends from the sky. <laughs> Take the hint, Mando. Here's another one for you. This is from yeah. Cargo's perspective. Why is Karga so worried about Kara's arm tattoo when she has a rebel face tattoo? A rebel alliance starbird on her face. This is baffling to I me. guess you could just, I guess the starbird is just kind of like a, you know, it's like the yin-yang symbol, I guess, in the universe. Some people got them, but like the, I guess maybe the tattoo speaks to. Combat Like skill? a specific. They say stripes. So there's yeah. like a militaristic aspect to that. We don't know exactly what the arm tattoo is, whether it's 
kills, missions, something about her station. Well, I think, you know, you we could imagine the drop troopers would be the shock troops of the Rebel Alliance would have mm-hmm. be, you know, engaged in direct combat, the vanguard, the tip of the spear kind of thing. So I, you know, would have, it's not like serving on a freighter or something. This is a person who's definitely killed stormtroopers. Oh, for sure. So I guess it, from that perspective, I guess you could see his point because, you know, this is like, for sure, she's killed dozens of yes. stormtroopers. And in general, just a delightful thing to have Kara back in our lives. We learn a lot about her backstory. You know, you're talking about that that violent past. And she tells us, I can't get on anywhere, anywhere on the New Republic grid because I've done a lot of shit since I was a trooper yeah. that would land me a life sentence. I love getting to see Gina Carano's MMA skills I, I, on display in the episode. That was great. I love when, when she's first talking to Mando about the client. And he's mm-hmm. like, he's definitely ex-imperial. And she's like, what station? I'm in. Just the fact that she's like, oh, okay, let me put this together. Right. Where did he serve? Mm-hmm. Maybe I know, maybe I can suss out who sure. this might be, depending on how like prominent they were in the hierarchy. Yeah, the old training kicks I, right back I in. I love that stuff. Return we will after word from our sponsors. Binge Mode Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere? The helpful folks at State Farm do. Like a fender bender when you're already late. Or a thief breaking into your home, making off with your new flat screen TV. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Today's show is also brought to you by the Google Assistant. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car at home and everywhere you take your phone. When you're driving and want to listen to your favorite Ringer podcast hands-free, just say... Hey, Google, play the latest episode of The Watch Podcast. Sure, here's the latest episode of The Watch, the top 10 TV shows of the decade, The Watch. Hey, Google, pause podcast. A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. And now back to binge mode. After they spend time discussing the original plan, meeting, everybody meets, they talk, they get the awkwardness out of the way, they proceed about their day. Baby Yoda heals Karga, et cetera. Karga turns. Okay, boom. Kills his own man. There's something you should know. The plan was to kill you and take the kid, but after what happened last night, I couldn't go through with it. Tells them, you guys can kill me, fine, but then Baby Yoda will never be safe. So many questions here about why Mando proceeds the way he does and also, like you said, why the rush. So Mando agreeing with that particular statement from Karga, saying that if they don't kill the client, the hunters will keep hunting Baby Yoda. And thus agreeing to go along with Cargo's plan is just nonsensical. So with the client dead, nobody else would be hunting you? Like, that comes from where? I don't know. Yeah. And it's so, it's actually so absurd that we get a vintage Star Wars callback. We get a, it's a trap. Yeah. From, from Kara parroting the legend Slaya Akbar. May they rest in peace. And then he hands over his blaster. <laughs> Which is like, wait, why? Can he hide it? Can you put it behind his back or something? Like He's literally covered in Beskar. Put it anywhere. He's in a shell. I think this was a very effective suspense building scene. And just the way Kara is responding to this. She's saying, like, this is insane. Like, what are, what are we doing? Constantly noting how many more stormtroopers there are around than, than right. grief. But of course, said. that's just another thing against Mando here is that somebody he trusts and went out of his way to bring onto his team is constantly telling him that he's doing the wrong thing and he's, he's pushing through anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
after Karga eliminates the other bounty hunters and they adjust the plan, you know, you would imagine that is the time for an audible, especially because like Mando would have some leverage now. It's just a- absolutely bizarre. When he sends Queel and Baby Yoda back to the ship, mm-hmm. are you going to give a little kiss or a little hug or some, little some sort of farewell just in case? Tell him, hopefully I'll be right back with you soon. Any sign of affection? Any communication at all? And back to the rushing point. How about this? Yeah. There's no deadline to go meet the client. We don't have to go there today. We don't have to go there tomorrow, this afternoon. There's no, like, if you're not here by 5 p.m., it's all right. over, right? Wait for Queel to radio that he got to the ship and has locked the door and has engaged the security protocols. Then march into the town. They'll give you time to, like, reconnoiter the right. area and figure it out. How about that? Why, while Quill is exposed, right. riding casually on Blurgback, would you then march into the town before knowing that he's safely inside? Especially the way that Mando talked about the crest. The by guarantee the way, of safety inside, which, again, by, we've by seen the this way, thing stripped by, by Dallas. By the way, engage security protocol. Where have these been? I know. Can we turn these on sometime? How is Grief Cargo waltzing onto your ship episodes ago? Because he left it unlocked. <laughs> but again, who have we seen strip the crest? Jawas. What do we hear Cargo say? Jawa infested <laughs> land. Like, what about this ship is safe? And the, the, to get back to the thing about Cargo and the client for a second, if Mando is hellbent on killing the client, that's fine. Yeah. Why does he need Cargo to do it? You can't establish trust with someone who hasn't earned it. How about this? He will earn it, but he hasn't yet. Uh, figure out where the client is. I mean, you already kind of know the building if it's the same one. Sit up in the hills with your sniper rifle and wait for him to come outside. Patience. And if he doesn't, then then do something. Maybe once Baby Yoda learns how to be a Jedi and learns patience, he can then teach Mando. So what about the closed car seat trick? The closed pram. Why do they think this will work? There are so many things here to dive into. One, clearly, you have to assume that the person you're meeting is going to say open it. And asked to look inside. Like, That's what a, was their plan if Moff Gideon hadn't called? Well, I guess here's the thing. The plan is kill the client, right? Mm-hmm. So, listen, as soon as he says open it, somebody better pop this fucking guy and get my handcuffs off, and then we're shooting our way out of here. But that's, that's the, the plan thing. at that point. But that's the thing. Mando doesn't have his blaster <laughs> yet, and he's supposed to be the one issuing the fatal kill shot. He doesn't have his blaster, so you have to anticipate that the very first thing yeah. they will say, given the nature of the meeting, is, let me see the kid. Also, we don't want to harp on the tracking fob thing every week. But this is an issue now, but for sure. this is a, officially a problem, because... They all have fobs on Baby Yoda. That's been one of the chief propulsive forces of the show so far. They would be able immediately to confirm his presence with the fob. He's either here or he isn't. They all have fobs that could tell them that right away. And then even in the broader sense of what Mando is thinking here, when he says that he has to go back to Cargo or else the imps will keep finding them. Why? Why? How? Why? Why? You know, how do these fobs work? Tell us how yeah, they why, work. Why was Yoda able to hang out for years on the swamp planet Dagobah? Find a Dagobah and chill. Look, literally go to fucking Dagobah. We got a Bogwing reference here. Go hang with them. Then I guess the argument would be, well, Dagobah was erased from the Jedi archives. Maybe it's erased from all the star maps. I don't know, but like... <laughs> Why Why could he hide? Why could nobody else hide? And let me just say this. What about oh fucking Obi-Wan? We're ca- just kicking it as Ben Kenobi. We're griping a lot. 
And it's because we love Baby Yoda so That's fucking right. much. Again, we loved this episode. We loved it. We're asking these questions because we want Mando to grow and learn. And grow evolve. and learn and take care of your boy. <laughs> Here's one. And this is a hopeful question. Absolutely. This is a question with desire behind it. Will the show continue to grapple with the political scars mm-hmm. in this world? I love this stuff. I loved it. Real strength of the episode. I, I 100% The agree. depth of exploration and thought. Yeah. As we've stated numerous times, these soldiers shouldn't just go away. And I love seeing that those scars are still there. Those hatreds are still there. Yes. The Imperials who would see this drop trooper tattoo would be enraged at the sight of someone who had maybe killed their comrades. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, Kara is immediately yes. ignited. Her passion is ignited at the thought that she could get back in it and get some revenge against these Imperials. And what does she hate about the, post, the post-war phase when it got all political and she wasn't able to just go in and fight the Imperials? The, 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 the opportunity to go back, get her, get some vengeance against these people yes. absolutely fired her imagination. Yes, and then even the way that she responds to someone as pure and kind and peaceful as Quill you know, what, when you worked for the Empire? Yeah. And he says, Some when I was sold to the Empire and indentured servitude, yet somehow you walk free. And he says, I bought my freedom through the skill of my I hands and that. the labor of three of your human we'll, lifetimes. What does trust look like in the world and how does that doubt that creep guy. in and fester? When Kara and Mando discuss the client, Mando says the warlord we're taking out was an Imperial officer. Boom, there's that comment. What station? Yes. Hard to tell, no insignia anymore. How do you even tell who an enemy is in this world? But I love that. I love that yeah. that feeling of, oh, her she's got the scent now. She she tastes blood. Remember, Favreau is telling this story because he is, by his own words, fascinated by this yes. post-Endor, post-Empire time period. Right. And the opportunity to flesh out what this world looked like. Yes. After the empire had crumbled, but all these people were still around, still right. had their blasters, still had the ability to call on these military forces. A line like Karga saying, quote, if for argument's sake, a few of them, ex-empire troopers, don't realize that I'm their best path to alternative employment is really thought provoking, as was his assertion that, well, once their paycheck is gone, right. they will just fade away and crumble. Is that the case? Who knows? We've seen that Kara is a true believer in the cause. She's not doing this because she's going to get paid. Right. She wants to get get back. Are there any other true believers like that on the other side? Right. And then we see that the answer is yes. yes because we get quite I love this. a fascinating speech from the client. And because we don't know if we're going to get any more, you know, Werner lines now that he has been killed, <laughs> I'd like to give you the floor here to oh, do yeah. your best the client <clears throat> voice work. It is a shame that your people suffered so. (laughs) Just as in this situation, it was all avoidable. Why did Mandalore resist our expansion? The Empire improves every system it touches, judged by any metric. Safety, prosperity, trade, opportunity, peace. Compare Imperial rule to what is happening now. Look outside, Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? I see nothing but death and chaos. Yes, I'm not saying he's right. (laughs) 
But there is a nugget. <laughs> I, I, I can see the truth from his perspective as he perceives it. I can see that argument from the imperial perspective. It's we talk, I, I don't agree with it, but I can see it. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. The villain always thinks they're the hero. They, they never think they're the bad guy. And right? tapping into that, giving us direct access into that in a way that could connect to this larger force-driven plot, but also the politics, the governance. Yeah. Building back up society is just so rich and full of intrigue and possibility. I, I really hope that even though the client is gone, we get more of that. It seems from our just brief glimpse of Gideon that he'll be he'll be giving us some of that too. And then and then lastly, before we move on, we got to talk about IG-11 because an incredible amount of this episode was focused on him. Is the IG-11 plot setting up his essential partnership with Mando in Chapter 8? I think the answer is yes. Quill recovered and repaired IG-11, as we said, and after... Touching. So touching. Like, really touching. Yes. After, of course, Mando murdered him in episode one. And the amount of time that IG-11 gets in this episode is just too substantial for this to not come back into play. Yes. Especially since we know that he was on the Razor Crest, where Mando had ordered him to stay, and at the gates of which mm-hmm. Baby Yoda was captured and Quill was murdered. What happened right before that? He lowered the gate. We're going to open the next episode and... IG-11 is going to be walking out of it. Before we get to the end, though, and the fact that he's probably coming out of that ship, let's talk about those touching sequences yeah, and what that. they signify. You know, his nature and his disposition were really primary focuses. Yeah, Quill drops some wisdom on Mando when Mando yes. expresses his wariness around the droid. He says, Quill says, droids are not good or bad. They are neutral reflections of those who imprint them. Mando says, I've seen otherwise. Well, you don't know who built that droid that killed your family, man. Again, like, you're not quite getting the point. Or does but he? We we don't know yet. That is a great point. And I think that this, what Quill says here is actually beyond, like, the confines of the Mandalorian. A really, mm-hmm. I think this is a really important point as we live increasingly in a world that is uh, molded by algorithms designed by people do these algorithms take on the biases of the engineers and the various people who who make them? I think the answer is clearly yes. And how does that shape the world as we move through it? I think this is what Quill says here is actually a really important idea that we need to think about beyond just this story. Quill then recounts in, again, what is a heartwarming this montage. This lo- lovely. That is beautifully shot and directed by Deborah Chow. Lovely. How he found IG-11. The way even that he picks up IG-11, kind of cradling his head. Oh, yes, so gentle. And brings him back to his homestead in accordance with the charter of the New Republic. This is his property now as he's staked his claim to it. And he has such empathy in general, but you have to wonder if he has an additional reserve of it for a droid that he views as beholden to its masters, acting on somebody else's wishes just like he had to do for the Empire. He is, that statement again, I recovered the flocksum and staked it as my own in accordance with the Charter of the New Republic. The Charter of the New Republic. This is, interesting. um, Quill is, he's like the voice of natural rights. The way he talks about the droid, the way he talks about uh, his own freedom and the way he worked for it and the way he took the time to teach this droid how to live and the the value he places on living within the law yes 
after his experience with the Empire, it's very evocative and yeah. and really wonderful in the way he expresses his love for freedom and for the natural yeah. rights of living beings. It's it's so mesmerizing and surprising in a really pleasant yeah. way because there, on the surface, would seem to be a disconnect between some of the things he says, like little remained of its neural harness, which is so technical right. and and almost cold but the but the way he says it he injects such warmth and such depth of feeling into the way that he is talking about this machine and then when you see like my favorite shot the whole stretch was great but my favorite shot was the moment where IG11 is just learning to stand again yeah. to like take a, like steps a, like, like a, a newborn like a newborn foal almost you know just like and there is something obviously and quite consciously parental about this montage. He says it had to learn everything from scratch. And we see him, you know, having it move stuff around his homestead. He says, no, not here, over here. And learning to feed his blurgs. And he says, again, it requires patience of repetition, patience and affirmation, just like a parent would do. And then he says, it developed a personality as his experiences grew. Yes, the way that Quill and IG-11... And their relationship and the way that Quill thinks about the not only responsibility, but the privilege to nurture and guide IG-11 is positioned as a direct foil for the maturation that Mando lacks. Again, his heart is in the right place. He has made the choice time and time again to pick Baby Yoda above everything else in his life. We are not questioning that. We are grateful for it. It is admirable and good, and it is why we have this show. But he doesn't really know what to do with it. And Everything that Quill has said to him here is a lesson. An incredible lesson. A life lesson about how to give Baby Yoda what he needs. I think in the short term, meaning the finale of season one, Mm. chapter eight, Mm. the lesson is going to be work with IG-11. Because so much of the focus of their exchanges was about Mando's mistrust and Quill's efforts to sway him, which just feels like, again, this setup for this partnership. That thing is programmed to kill the baby. Not anymore. Is it still a hunter? No. But it will protect. Yeah, there's that moment on the crest when Kara, post the force choke, is arguing with Quill about uh, what just happened. And it's getting heated. And IG-11 steps forward. And there's that very provocative shot of of just IG-11 in shadow watching this argument Mm -hmm. after it's taken a step forward. And you get the sense that, especially after that comment, yes, he was waiting to see if it needed to protect its father, for lack of a better That's word. Right. And hopefully he will feel the need to after he sees his father's I think we're going to see IG-11 sally, sally forth from the crest and be like, how dare you, yes. and, and really fight. I agree. And a couple other things that stands to reason we'll see in conjunction with that— you know, Kara took the thermal detonator from Mando's armory, didn't use it. So that's mm. on her person. Seems like that might come into play in terms of how they could escape Gideon and his troops bearing down on them in the cantina. And then, you know, look, it's a long-running tradition that not everything in Star Wars trailers makes it into the final product. But one shot that we did see in the preseason trailers was Moff Gideon flying in a ship and what appeared to be, I mean, we can't say for sure, but what certainly appeared to be Mando jetpacking onto the top of it. We then think back to the line from earlier in the season, I got to get get one one of those. Does the covert finally come back into play? Does he call on his people to help him? I I hope that is the case. Jason? Yes! You have something I want. That's right. You may think you have some idea what you're in possession of, but you do not. 
So now that Moff Gideon is in our lives at last, please gather the Padawan learners. Head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about Moffs. At long last, we have met the mysterious man behind the client, Moff Gideon, played by the Imperial Giancarlo Esposito. Clearly, the Moff still has some juice in this galaxy with the Empire's foot soldiers and has the resources to maintain a number of stormtroopers and at least one TIE fighter. That's pretty good. So let's talk about Moffs, what they do, what they were. We can think of Moffs as middle management in the Empire, a kind of military governor. Under the imperial system, Moffs were responsible for a specifically assigned sector of occupied galactic space and commanded all the imperial resources in that sector. They were like a head of state for an entire sector of the galaxy. Under the Empire, the galaxy was divided into a bit over 1,000 sectors, and each included multiple systems. Moffs would be responsible for the smooth running of their sector, the collection of taxes therein, the application of imperial law and order, the smooth running of the economy, the hunting down of rebel fugitives, yada, yada, yada. For instance, during the early stage of the rebellion against the Empire, Tan Hubie, a human male was the imperial moff in charge of the Calamari sector. Though Mon Calamari's native government remained in place, Hubie was effectively the leader of that entire sector. Moff Hubie held the Mon Calamari King Lee Char hostage mm-hmm. as, ins- as insurance against disloyalty. As a meal. And dealt with regent of Mon Cala Ertya, who dealt with the day-to-day operations of the system. But the Mon Cala merchant fleet was unarmed, and Mon Cala itself had no armed forces beyond the police forces required for internal security. As the hunt for rebels heated up, the imperial system was reorganized. Hyperdrives, of course, allow rebels or anyone else, any other kind of fugitives, fugitive Jedi, they give them the ability to zip from sector to sector, and this created difficulties as imperial forces of one sector could not pursue rebels into another sector without the okay of that sector's moth. Now, Since the imperial system was based on a Sith worldview, and this incentivized rivalry rather than cooperation, you could see how that would cause trouble. And what was then needed was an administrator who had control over multiple sectors. So the position of Grand Moff was created. And the first of these was the infamous Wilhuff Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin, whose foul stench Princess Leia recognized as soon as she came on board. As Grand Moff, Tarkin was in charge of the Outer Rim, a vast area, and all the Empire's resources therein, making him one of the most powerful individuals in the Imperial government. While Grand Moss had a direct line to the Emperor, they still administered through the individual sector Moffs, who in turn had direct control over the fleets and economic resources of their sector. You could argue, therefore, that while Grand Moffs were imposing on paper, Moffs actually held more concrete, actionable power on a kind of like minute-to-minute basis. Gideon, therefore, would be a figure of immense prestige and power within the Empire. Let's say he was the moth in charge of the Navarro sector, whatever sector contains Navarro. He would have had direct military command of the fleets in his sector. The Star Destroyers, the TIE Fighters, the Stormtroopers, all of them would answer to him. As chief of state of multiple planetary systems and their respective economies, he would have been able to call on significant resources to fund and maintain his military forces. So just how much of Moff Gideon's economic power and military might remains in a 
post-imperial world is an open question. The presence of death troopers among Gideon's forces is tantalizing. These elite troops were often assigned to high-level officials such as Orson Krennic! 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 <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin himself and Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. The show, the show is set in nine after Battle of Yavin. Five years, as we said, after Endor, the battle which destroyed the deuce and <laughs> claimed the lives of Darth Vader and the Emperor. Mm. And four years after the Battle of Jakku, the battle which finally ended the war. As we talked about in our Force Awakens podcast, Admiral Galius Rax, acting on the Emperor's contingency plan, concentrated the remaining Imperial forces on Jakku where they were utterly destroyed by the Rebel Alliance, all according to the Emperor's plan. It is reasonable to assume that Admiral Rax would have wanted all available death troopers sent to Jakku as they were an elite fighting force. Did Moff Gideon not send the fleets under his control to Jakku? Or did he slip away with what remained of his forces when the writing appeared on the wall? Does he still control his imperial sector or some portion of that sector? Has he been challenged at all by the New Republic? These are all fascinating questions that I we certainly cannot wait to find the answers to. Cannot wait. Mal. Yeah. I serve no one but myself. And yet I'm beholden to the nuggets. So let's roll like BB-8 through 8 of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning Rats, how you go first? Number one. You discussed them off, Jason. So let's talk about his troops. Love them off. <laughs> In addition to the regular stormtroopers and scout troopers that we know so well, Gideon... Also has a group of death troopers at his command. Death troopers first appear on screen in Rogue One assisting Krennic. Krennic! <laughs> on his missions to recruit. I'm using the word recruit loosely. Galen Erso. And elsewhere. Death troopers were selected for their battle skills and their size. They were taller, heavier than the average stormtrooper. And those picked for the elite unit were to train in a special camp on Scarif. Inspired by the idea of a U.S. Navy SEAL, the death trooper was physically fit expert across a range of munitions and styles of warfare, and subjected to a host of mental and ideological tests to ensure an ability to follow orders. In other words, they don't want to bug in the system. Their equipment was top of the line, complete with special tracking and targeting tech, and they could specialize in stealth missions thanks to their black armor, which was coated in a substance that could cloak them from enemy tracking technology. Incredible. Oftentimes, Death troopers could complete a hit and escape without even being noticed, without people even knowing they were there. Worst of all for our heroes, but somewhat hilariously as a meta reflection, Rogue One director Gareth Edwards called death troopers, quote, a new stormtrooper that can actually hit its target with guns. <laughs> what a fucking Tough shade. Tough for our guys, the stormtroopers. Shade at the troopers. <laughs> it seems like Mando might have been a match that he can't take on in the row of death troopers with weapons aimed and ready right outside. Break out that thermal detonator! Bring it out! Number two. Moff Gideon has scout troopers on his side, too. They're the ones who fly after and pick up LBY within sight of the Razor Crest. As we've discussed on past episodes, many stormtroopers were split into specialized units, and scouts like death troopers had a few key areas of training and responsibility. First and foremost, as their name suggests, they were scouts. Fast, nimble, Able to perform reconnaissance in unfamiliar territory. The scout troopers in this episode are certainly speedy enough. Flying on the same 74Z speeder bikes used by scout troopers on Endor and Return of the Jedi. It's no surprise that the bikes prove more effective over flat, empty terrain than weaving in and out of dense foliage on Endor. 
the second main trait of scout troopers was their sharpshooting acumen, as they could provide long-range cover for infantry in battle, plus service snipers if the occasion called for it. Recall, if you will, the scout trooper sniper who flat out missed Leia as she sat on a log, (laughs) not moving. So let me tell you something about these guys. Again, beaten by Ewoks. Needle, (laughs) very, very tough. Love the Ewoks. Very tough look for the scout troopers. Unlike the cloaking armor of death troopers, scouts had alterations of their own to the classic stormtrooper uniform. Theirs were lighter, more flexible, allowing for the quick movements necessary for members of their corps. If only they were a few beats slower in this episode. Ugh, if only. Fuck them. Get your hands off my darling LBY. Number three. Also with the Imperial Remnant is an RA-7 protocol droid, the bartender at the cantina who gets caught in the crossfire. The RA-7 dates all the way back to A New Hope, where it first appeared on the Jawa Sandcrawler on Tatooine, and it made plenty of appearances throughout the Clone Wars and Rebels animated series as well. RA-7s are nearly equivalent to C-3PO in design, which fits because they're both protocol droids. Just with an insect-shaped head is the main distinction. However, unlike both C-3PO and the bartending droid tough, seen in this episode... Tough day at the office for the bartending droid. Really rough. Previous RA-7 droids generally weren't as meek in demeanor. They tended to feature prickly personalities and were used not for translation or broad protocol assistance, but specifically for spying, with the powerful sensors in their insectoid eyes allowing them to obtain oodles of visual information quickly and accurately. Maybe the Astros? Place an RA-7 in center field to steal signs. Who knows? Just saying. It's possible. Let's check in with Bill Belichick about this. Shaded, shade on the Astros, shade against the <laughs> Patriots. You literally hate to see it with your insectoid eyes. <laughs> you love to see it. In Poe Dameron Flight Log, a canon book based on The Force Awakens, we learn a bit more about their history when C-3PO responds to an accusation that RA-7 were Death Star droids by saying, um, well, yes. That's what some call them, though many RA-7s find it a derogatory term. Only a small percentage of that model actually worked on the Death Star. He's right. They were more often out on the field, spying, gathering info to send back to their Imperial masters. Number four. Moff Gideon has a new toy as well as his retreads, his Outland TIE Fighter. This was dope. An evolved version of the Empire's favorite mass-produced craft. The Outland hadn't appeared in Star Wars before this episode, but it appears incredibly versatile and better suited for post-imperial life than previous editions. Mainly, the landing stabilizers, which act like feet for balance, and advanced wing design, which allow the two wings to fold inward and then down. Allows for all-terrain landing, a useful ability when you're no longer, when you no longer have access to the landing bay of the nearest imperial star destroyer. The wings remind us of X-Wing tech, the same sort of folding mechanism, and represent a hint at the arms race between rebels and imperials. Typically, the latter group had the upper hand, but it seems that the Remnants adopted at least one Rebel advantage for their own. If you can't beat them, take their tech. A fun behind-the-scenes nugget is that this model was actually lifted from an unused concept Mm. for The Force Awakens, where it might have been intended as a First Order bomber. Love it. Number five, what about some other species that appear in this episode? Early on, when we return to Sorgon, we find Kara fighting a Zabrak. We don't find Mando going to fuck Omera, by the way. Mando, what are you doing? You might know that name, Zabrak, because Darth Maul was a member of the species, specifically a Dathomirian Zabrak, one of a couple Zabrak subgroups. Zabraks were near humans, differentiated chiefly by the horns on their heads and highly independent, strong-willed beings. Most were native to Iridonia, a mid-rim planet that in Legends canon was often embroiled in wars because of its location next to well-trafficked hyperspace lanes connecting the inner and outer rims. Other Zabraks lived in smaller numbers on Dathomir, a barely habitable outer rim planet, 
where they were led by the Night Sisters, a.k.a. the witches of Dathomir, great characters, who tapped into the planet's innate dark side sources to fuel their magic. Notable members of the species include Maul, the Sith Apprentice, his brother, Savage Opress. Hello. And more. Number six. When Mando and friends arrive in Navarro, Grief greets them and approaches little baby Yoda. You fuck. He says, this little bargling is what all the fuss was about. And we must admit, the comparison of our precious little guy to a species of reptilian flying dinosaur kind of fits. There are plenty of similarities. Bogwings are green. Okay. Sure. They're known to live on Dagobah, which in a meta sense. That I like. Connects to little baby Yoda, whose nominal relative, adult Yoda, spent a couple of decades treating the planet as his semi-retirement home and hideout. Bogwings also have a sort of superpower with an ability to carry up to nine times their own weight. Mm, like a phoenix. You know, just about to pick up that bug and take off. And it's unclear how much they can think for themselves. But the main difference between the two, we hope, is that we don't see Bogwings much throughout the Star Wars oeuvre, with only sca- a few scattered Clone Wars appearances, plus an Empire Strikes Back sighting and another in a deleted scene from Revenge of the Sith. While we want LBY in our lives and on our screens forevermore. One last fun tidbit among Bogwings is their involvement in a sport. The mm. creature is native to Naboo, mm, and in their Gungan game Gully Ball, this sort of polo using live animals instead of a ball, oh, no. the Gungans would toss Bogwings into the sky to signify halftime. Weird. This is awful. In our world, we get J-Lo and Red Panda for halftime entertainment on Naboo. They get Bogwings. Number seven, LBY Force Choke Artist. Joined a long list of Force users who would exercise that particular application of the power. And it is... Not a friendly list. Our little buddy needs to watch out. Most famously, of course, Anakin slash Darth Vader used it basically all the time. Go-to move for him. From Padme on Mustafar, horrifyingly, to seemingly every Imperial officer who spoke with him in the original trilogy, Anakin might have been the most prolific Force choker in the canon, but he wasn't alone on the dark side. Dooku was a capable Force choker, too, and so was Asajj Ventress and Maul. Some people like it. <laughs> That's true. No judgment in that sense. Do what you want in your own bedroom, but, you know. Consenting adults. And Maul's brother, Savage Opress. Palpy himself forced choked his apprentice Dooku over a hologram in the season six Clone Wars episode, The Lost One. And most recently, we saw Kylo Ren force choke General Hux in the throne room in The Last Jedi after Snoke's death. What a moment. Naturally, given the act's violence and aggression, this list is dominated by dark side users, but it's not exclusively a list of baddies, as we've discussed. Luke used some version of a force choke on Jabba's guards in Return of the Jedi, and Ahsoka applied it in a similar fashion in Padawan Lost, a season three Clone Wars episode, when she, like Luke, uses it as a means to help prisoners escape a brutal situation. As a podcast, we are still anti-force choking, to be clear. But at least Luke and Ahsoka proved that you don't have to be a dark side practitioner to pull out the old force choke every once in a while. I love it. What's the safe word where you're force choking? I guess it's got to be some kind of hand symbol. Number eight. And last but not least, let's talk about a possible behind-the-scenes reason for IG-11's return. He took a blaster bolt to the head at the end of episode one as he raised his own weapon to kill baby Oats. So we figured it was the last we would see of this violent bounty hunting droid, but IG-11 is voiced by the wonderful and talented Taika Watiti, who's directing episode eight. Makes sense that Taika's own character would return for his direction after he's doubled up as an actor in other prominent directing projects, too. Like voicing Korg and Thor Ragnarok. Love. Again, I love Korg. Are those eggs coming out of you? <laughs> and both acting and directing in this fall's Jojo Rabbit. We wonder what kind of action IG-11 and YTD might experience in this season 
finale. Can't wait to find out. Jason? Yeah. I spend day after day reinforcing binge mode's development with patience and affirmation. Just like today's winner. Every episode, we're going to honor the character who rallied the troops, advanced the cause. And today, the winner of our Medal of Bravery is, of course. It's got to be. Quill, rest in power. I'm truly crushed by his death. It's very sad. It was the wise and really incredibly gracious, almost to the point of like, being too gracious to people who kind of don't deserve it. Ugnot hosts Mando, Kara, and little baby Y, although he calls LBY too ugly to be genetically engineered. Again, I, I read that as kind of in a warm way. He spent all his time while Mando's been dicking around on various planets, actually doing something productive, resuscitating IG-11, training him to function as a helpful partner, member of his family. And even though he could have easily said no, he agrees to go to Mando and Navarro for no other reason than to protect little baby Yoda from imperial yes. slavery, something he feels strongly yes. about. Fight against them. He shows a real affection for his blurgs, of course. <sighs> Bringing them along. Gets rightfully upset when the flying creature takes Let one her away. Let her go! Tries to take another, squashing it. Awful. Awful! He crucially hand-feeds little baby Yoda a little piece of meat. This was so precious. Just so precious. It's honestly like, do you do you think Mando is like, well, I guess I should do that. Do you, do you think no. he feels like a piece of shit? No. Because here's this dude who Absolutely doesn't even not. know little baby Yoda and is like taking tender care of him. No. Little baby Bubba's hungry and Grampy Queel came through. <laughs> I hope little baby Yoda can heal him. Uh, bring him back. Uh, maybe if IG-11 bring gets baby Yoda. Back. Maybe yeah. IG-11 can go get baby Yoda, bring him back, and then baby Yoda can heal him. That'll be great. Quill, along with Mando, is the first to check on Baby Yoda after the attack from the flying creatures at the fireside. And then he goes to check on the wounded grief cargo. Just a caring, compassionate guy all around. And of course, he agrees to bring little Baby Yoda back to the Razor Crest in a scene that's very reminiscent of the end of True Grit, Mm. racing against Mm -hmm. time. And in doing so, gives his life trying to protect him. Rest in power, my good friend, Quill. The Ugnaught. You do your clan proud. You, you have, have spoken. spoken. Well, friends, a podcaster of honor should not be forced to live in exile, just as we keep telling Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder. Continue to explore the galaxy. And then join us again next time for our deep dive into Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Until then, remember, pay up, mud scuffers. My friend, I have an opportunity for you, a deal. The client that you betrayed is currently oppressing my city. So I have an offer for you. You go in there and kill him. I will hold on to little baby Yoda. Use him as bait. You will head in to see the client. I will handcuff your hands behind your back. Take off your helmet. Crash your ship, but this is all a ruse, you understand? This is all to trick him. And then when all the stormtroopers come down, I hand you over to them, completely unarmed. And I say, this is the Mandalorian 
who betrayed you, kill him now. Then they shoot you in the head. It's all fake. This is fake. They take little baby Yoda and give me credits. You following me? And then your dead body is thrown in a pit somewhere or just left in the streets. And they leave with little baby Yoda. Is it a deal? Do we have a deal? 